Come with me and you'll be in a world of cinematic adventures. Hello. This week I have Paul from One Good Thing. Absolutely. Paul Salt, we should distinguish, because the other guy's also called Paul in a shocking demonstration of unoriginality on his part. It's it's nice to have a feeling of things being curated. Like one of my big upsets of this year is that the quarantine is going to mean I don't get to go to the London Film Festival this year or any film festival in fact and I do love the idea because when you get press accreditation for a film festival you get to just go sit in a room and you don't even know the names of the films that were on because you didn't look at the schedule closely enough (laughs) and stuff just starts playing but you the only thing you know about it is that somebody decided this was good festival and yeah I, I just I'm gonna miss that I'm gonna miss that sort of combination of the unknown but also the assurance that this is that yeah, somebody selected all of this stuff. <laughs> See, and that's the thing. I guess, I guess I've kind of moved past that because I was very much like that in my twenties, where right. I was like, it doesn't matter what the content; it's a movie. Put it in front of my eyes. <laughs> Whereas now I'm like, it 100% matters the content <laughs> because there are way too many damn movies. I am one person. I'm not going to waste my time on something that's bullshit. Yeah. So well, I've, I've been in both places and sometimes I do feel a little guilty. Like, am I not as open as I should be? Should I be willing to watch more? <laughs> and then I'm like, no, because I'm 42 now and I'm too old for this shit. Like, <laughs> like, Hey, I mean, you know, one of the hardest things to learn as we, you know, get older is just to get a good sense of what it is we like. So to actually yeah. have that, I think, and to hold That's, on to it. Exactly. Far too many. Yeah. Far too many people get old and just decide they don't like anything. <laughs> Well, see, and that's the thing. Like, I still like a lot of things, but yeah, there, yeah. especially with Hollywood movies, there are so many things that it's like, I've seen this before. I'm not wasting my time or money on this. Yeah, God. I mean, the, one of the last films I saw before um, lockdown started was um, uh, the third Bad Boys film. And I, <laughs> Me too. I, I, <laughs> Oh man, I just, I knew what it was going to be. I knew exactly what my problems with it were going to be and what the things that I might like about it were going to be. And I didn't get all that much out of it. And you just figure, why did you then see it? Why didn't you go elsewhere and see something else? And it's just like, eh, I just felt like something familiar that day. Even if it was bad, it was going to be bad in a way that is familiar. And sometimes that's kind of what you want. Yeah. Well, okay. So just because something is a sequel or a remake doesn't automatically mean I have nothing for it. Like if Mm. you do a good take on it, perfect example, another movie that came out this year, Invisible Man. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was an excellent take on a movie. This was like the third or fourth version of this movie, but it was the best. Uh Yeah. It was really good. It was very suspenseful. It a hundred percent put you in her shoes. Yeah. And yeah, there were parts that were like, okay, that doesn't make sense. Like, the knife coming up next to her on her right, but slashing to the left <laughs> and her not. Oh, and it looked like it was her. It was like, come on, if anybody saw everybody. If anybody looked, they would see the knife is floating. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it lingered far too long. You would think he would have put the knife in her hand and had her hand move it. But instead, yeah. like you just see this floating. knife. <laughs> so like there are a couple of things here and there that like, we're like, okay, that, probably didn't make the most sense but it was still like it was very intense it put you in that moment Mm. um so and for me the whole purpose of a movie is to entertain so i can do the popcorn thrillers like independence day and stuff like that and transformers it doesn't have to be highbrow cinema i will still take Mm. highbrow cinema i like all of it yeah it has to entertain and i love movies that like they give you something 
you know, like they educate or they like make you think. I love that too, but not all movies have to do that. But what you have to do is you have to stick the landing. If you're a comedy and you're not funny, you failed. That's exactly it. Yeah. And the thing about the Transformers movies is that I just don't find them entertaining in a visceral way. I'm perfectly happy to enjoy movies um, that only offer action without really all that much else. You mentioned 90s action movies, which is always where my brain goes back to is movies like Hard Target or, you know, anything that fucking John Woo put his hands on. It's just entirely happy to just have glorious gunfights and um, explosions and such. But I have to have that visceral connection and actually enjoy it. And there's always something in between me and Michael Bay, the way he shoots and films is just there's something there even a movie like The Rock which is a movie I quite enjoy for how campy aspects of it are like Nick Cage and Sean Connery being just gloriously wonderful together yes. but but the way like the the shootout in the um the shower room which is the only shootout I can actually remember where the whole team get killed mm-hmm. I just remember that being so hard to pass and sort of understand and really yeah, and certainly to get excited about. It's just, there's something about Michael Bay's action style. I, I was the opposite, things. because for me, yeah. the dialogue and the... Mm. You, you know what? It was Ed Harris. It was Ed Harris oh, and Michael yeah, Bean did. that sold that scene for me. Because <laughs> Michael Bean is doing what he has to, and Ed Harris is doing... You can see the conflict in him yeah. when he was like, I don't want to kill my own soldiers. Like, I'm trying to prove a point. Don't make me do this. Yeah, and yeah. That, that conflict drew me in. And when he was like, the whole, throughout the entire shootout, he was screaming, cease fire, cease fire. Nobody was listening. And it was yeah, like yeah, foreshadowing yeah. for later <laughs> when they all turned on him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah. I can see how that, there's good dramatic stuff there. It's just something really... I just can't get into a Michael Bay film, even the early stuff. And I've had this with Paul too, who still says that he enjoys things like, um, you know, Armageddon and such, but. Oh no. See, mm -mm, (laughs) wait, that's a bridge too far. We can't. Yeah. Maybe. Armageddon is uh... the stupidest thing. I, oh gosh. (laughs) The only decent part of that movie was Steve Buscemi. Oh yeah. Him going insane is always fun. I quite like Peter Stomhair as well, being this crazy Russian guy. And, That's always um, quite amusing. And Billy Bob Thornton. And it's just oh, because Jesus, like that was amazing. like one of the few times he was the straight guy. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> so, he's always like, he's usually the Steve Buscemi character. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. So, yeah. But uh, in uh, reaction to a thing you said earlier when you were talking about how sequels, you know, aren't necessarily automatically bad. That's certainly true. But I knew exactly what B- Bad Boys 3 was going to be, really. Yeah. There was no chance that this was going to be the one that broke the mold and really told a different story an introspective and different story or even just yeah was different in a more exciting way it just felt like someone trying to be michael bay which is not something i'd like them to do so the thing it had going for it was it was an action flick that came out at the beginning of the year and now the thing that's it has true. going for it is it's one of the only films to come out this year. Well, yeah, exactly my list of the top films of 2020 is so far a film of a list of six so <laughs> it's gonna be in your top 20 because it's the only it's one of the only things Hit. that's a 20 <laughs> god i'm gonna have to watch some streaming stuff which i don't really want to do I, that's, you know I i'm still to... not counting streaming as having come out if i don't get a chance yeah, to sit right? in the theater and enjoy it i feel I the same count, way consider that as counting out as coming out you know yeah and they've just they've just announced now that uh mulan is going straight to disney plus um yeah for like 170 dollars that's so ridiculous <laughs> Yeah. So, stupid. <laughs> so that's going there, and people are like, "Will Black Widow do the same?" And I just think, I hope not. No, no, don't let it. Do a Nolan. Nolan knows. <laughs> also, 
I am really concerned about movie theaters surviving. Uh, so just hold off. Just wait. Yeah. And open them, you know, let them come out when the theaters open. I also yeah. realized that the U.S., um, we didn't do our homework. We didn't eat our peas. And mm. so we're on punishment. So if other countries <laughs> would like to have movies and, if you know, other countries are able to open theaters, go for it. We deserve the spoilers. We've done it to you guys. Oh, okay. That's, that's, that is really big of you because when I heard that Tenet might open in certain European countries, I was furious. Really? <laughs> I was like, no, they can't have it first. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, wow. UK, UK is slightly behind um, America in terms of irresponsibility. Like, g- genuinely, we've been just as crap. And we're looking at a second wave any day now. So, yeah, it's probably going to be the same. For the moment, cinemas are open and I'm actually going to try and go to one on Friday. I can't even remember what it is i'm seeing now yeah but, ours are not open that's why new, new movies don't come out yeah. because we're the arbiter of who gets what that's why i'm like okay <laughs> look we didn't do well let everybody else have it like don't because here's the because like a lot of the movie theaters that i go to are international ones like um like regal and mm. um, amc oh yeah and i because i have passes to both of those so i'm like look if Germany and England need to get, like, if they can open their AMCs, let them do it. Okay. Because yeah. <laughs> I just want the ability, because I'm worried that, like, if they can't open anywhere still, right, then they're going to go bankrupt and then we won't yeah. have it at all. Like, there won't be anything to come back to. Yeah. So, yeah. y'all can have it. I'm fine with that as long as at some point I can sit in a theater and watch a movie again. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, yeah, you hope that that revenue is being collected. There have been a number of cinemas over here that are doing their own thing. Like I have a subscription to a whole bunch of cinemas and they've they sent out letters saying, okay, if you want, we can hold your subscriptions, you know, and your membership fees until the new year. But we'd really appreciate it if you just sort of kept paying anyway, even though you're not getting any movies. And I, I continued doing that with things like the British Film Institute and um, uh, the Prince Charles Cinema in London, which is this big cult cinema that shows, you know, you know, does does your Arnie all nighters and stuff like that, which is was kind of ridiculous. It's called the Prince Charles, but um, it's world renowned as a sort of loving London home for trash. Um, okay, yeah, <laughs> um, my yeah, I, I, I'm supporting cinemas my own little way. My uh, way of supporting is mm. um, on Mondays. AMC has um, on demand movies for three dollars, so oh, okay. I just buy like fifteen dollars worth of movies every Monday. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, because um, I'm like, look, because well, because I used to pay twenty four dollars a month to be able to watch three movies a week, right? And they're not open, and I'm like, you bitches better come back. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh man, it's so it's frightening. It's a frightening time, and yes. it'll be very curious to see how the movie industry adapts and changes as we come out of it. But yeah, hopefully, people and I don't, I don't. I don't think there's any danger of people losing track of how wonderful the cinema experience is. Maybe it'll change. Maybe there'll be a little down period whilst the, you know, shuffle has to happen. But everybody was always terrified. Even back in the fifties, people were terrified. Everyone has televisions now. No one's going to come to the movies. And whilst figures have dipped, it's not going to disappear. People want that experience. They yearn for it to experience things communally and in a big um, big screen in an environment where you are discouraged from bringing with you the things that take you out of a movie like your phone. Exactly. See, okay. Yeah. 
I am going to acknowledge up front that I am not the person who knows anything about the average moviegoer because I cannot remember how many movie marathons I've done in a theater. Right. Um, I The latest one was the Marvel one last year, which was three oh, days. Nice. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm a little nuts. Um, so I acknowledge I'm not the average person. Okay. Like, I've literally lived in a cinema for a, a half a week. All right. Yeah. But that being said, I'm not the only one. That theater was not empty. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So there are plenty of people just like me. I actually got to the point before um, the shutdown where I would yeah. not go on weekends because the general public went and they would use their phones and I'd want to shoot people. So, yeah. I mean, I didn't literally shoot people, but I like you, I, when it, before, when cell phones first came out, if somebody used it, I would just go tell the manager and they'd kick them out. But now yeah. it's like, they were, like it got to the point where it was so many, it was like, I'm the one that's odd for not using my phone. <laughs> so then I was just like, all right, screw it. I'm only going like Monday through Thursday because mm. Thursday night, those are my people. The right. premiere movie crowd. Uh, okay yeah the ones the nuts who are going to come out at midnight to watch the movie first <laughs> that's those oh, are my peeps. god i miss that whole thing <laughs> i miss that whole thing I, I, yeah <laughs> but I yeah I, I extraction on netflix and the whole time uh, i was like i wish i was in a theater <laughs> yeah i felt the same way about the old guard i, w- I watched just a few we- weeks ago it's just not the same yeah. Watching these movies that are big, you know, the big movies that were made for the big screen and just watching them, you know, and I have a pretty decent setup here at home. I have a nice screen. It's just not the same. It's not the same. It's, it's not. not the same. And I agree that most, I mean, the, I, I think I read something that the average cinema goer goes to the cinema three times a year. And that was just really freaked me out. <laughs> I was like, no way. <laughs> Dude, Jesus in Christ. the 90s, I watched a movie three times a day. And that is oh, not an exaggeration. God. I had a blockbuster <laughs> movie pass. Yeah. It was exactly six minutes from my house. Had it memorized. <laughs> I had the route, like the fastest route to get there. I oh, would man. watch a movie. So like the night before, what would inevitably happen is I start out with, I have a movie from the night before, right? Yeah. So as soon as I get a chance, I would go to blockbuster the first time I go for the day, I'm there for yeah. the longest. And what I'm doing right. is I'm scouting out the movies I'm going to rent later. Oh, man. <laughs> so I'll decide, like, I'll walk through the whole store and right. be like, okay, this one, this one, this one, and if I have time, that one. And right. then I'll get the first one. And I was expert at flipping it around. I suck at math, but I can tell you two things. How long a movie is based on the number of minutes, <laughs> and I can do money. Excellent. <laughs> I can do that in my head instantly because I, I would be like, "I have to think about the longer films with with um with minutes." <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, "134 minutes." Okay, that's two hours and fourteen. <laughs> like it was just like instant because yeah. like I just got yeah. trained from that time, <laughs> and I would rent a movie like you with a movie pass. You just swap them out. They just open it, and make sure it's in there, and then you know, then like go into your account, rent it to you, and then hand it to you on the side. Yeah, and I. Half of my Facebook friends are people who worked at Blockbuster in the 90s because I became friends. Like, this this was my life, you know? And, That's awesome. Um, I love that. I And then this is where I got into, like, foreign films because once you've seen all the mainstream, mm. you're like, well, what else is there? So then you go, you, it's like the supermarket. Like, you start on the outside, but then you start coming inside, and you're like, well, what's this aisle? 
Well, speaking of which, quick test. I recently watched a film called Sutton Tango by Bella Tarr. Really good film. 439 minutes long. Can you run that one? Holy shit. Yeah. 439 <laughs> minutes. Isn't that like almost five hours? Um, hold on. I didn't do the math myself. <laughs> I was so well, confident. every 120 is an hour. Yeah. Oh, no. Every 120 is two hours, right? Oh, sorry. Every 120 is two hours. Yeah. So divided by 60. Yeah, it was seven and a half. Seven and a half. Jeez. Yeah. Wait, how many minutes movie. did you say it was? Uh, 439, I think. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. And did you do it insane. in one sitting? Um, no, I did two. <laughs> I broke it over a couple of days. I know. <laughs> I didn't go see it at a cinema, is the thing. There, are, there were actually screenings where they would do a couple of um, intervals for oh. you, but watching it on a DVD, it was like, I'm going to finish this tomorrow. I remember when Titanic came out, it was on two oh, yeah. different VHS cassettes. Oh my God, that's <laughs> amazing. it was too long in the time. It's funny, I, I remember having that on VHS. I can't remember if it was a double VHS. <laughs> Mine was. I got it as soon as it came out. Uh, but then again, like oh, I always man. get the special editions. But um, oh, right. it was two, it was two, it was two in one like box. Mm. Kind of like Lawrence awesome. of Arabia or something. <laughs> I love that. I do yeah. miss big chunky VHS boxes, but um, I used to do the same as you. As I used to, I had a Cineworld pass when um, which I got in my early twenties, and yeah, I used to go to the cinema. And the Cineworld pass means you spend a certain amount of month, and you get to see as many movies as you like. Mm-hmm. And I would just go. I would go see usually around three movie, uh, two movies a day actually, but sometimes there would be a third. And the closest I get to that now is the slightly more hectic um, film festival period where for about three weeks of my life, I'm seeing somewhere around five movies a day um, in order to review them, which is not ideal. (laughs) Dude, your eyes have to burn. Yeah, and it's just, you get to a point where I totally get whenever a movie comes out and it's really fucking weird and all the critics say it's amazing and all the people say it's not, because once you're at a point where you're sitting in a screening room watching five movies a day, the one that gets something out of you is the one that's just weird. It's the one that's not like all the other things you saw that day. Right. And so I think that's why certain movies tend to do better with critics than they do with audiences who, you know, if you're Mr. I come to the cinema three times a year, you want to know that the 20 bucks you're spending on a cinema ticket, you want to know exactly what it is you're getting. Also, critics don't look for the same thing in movies that mm. people do. Um, yeah. You know, the general audience. People. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well, because let's face it, most critics are pretentious a-holes. Like they're... I know I am. Yeah. <laughs> They, you know, they, they tend to have this, like, most critics, okay, so this is totally a generalization, but I, okay. I, I learned this as a kid. Critics, <laughs> each critic has the thing that they look for. Right. Or the list of things. Some of them have, like, a, a checklist, almost, and each mm. movie has to have this checklist, and if you don't have everything on that checklist, the movie was shit, or, like, there's right. the one or two things that they look for for them to determine that a movie is good, and if a movie doesn't have that, they think it's not good. And the problem yeah. is that checklist is not universal. That checklist is for their particular taste. So if they watch that's a movie true. that's not in their particular taste, that movie is shit to them. Yeah. Even though it's a good movie, it doesn't, it doesn't have the things on their particular checklist. I've seen that. I've seen a guy who reviewed Room, the Lenny Abrahamson film from a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And he was like, this is why this movie is a bad movie because it changes genre um, halfway through. You know, it's a, a closed house sort of survivalist movie. And then suddenly it becomes this survival movie, uh, this uh, post-trauma thing. And it's like, that's such a mathematical way of looking. Exactly. And the average thing. audience goer just goes, is this it's interesting? Is it entertaining? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I try to be like that when I, when I see films, it's only really when I don't like a film um, that suddenly I'm thinking, why aren't I liking this film? When I am liking it, I love a film where I come out and I'm like, I can't put into words why that was good. You know, it, it's, it's, yeah, it, it's because in some ways it's a really reductive form that I'm working in to try and turn something as sublime as, you know, cinema, the moving image and sound into words is just a downgrade, you know, right. a picture is worth a thousand words. So 24 frames a second is worth more than you can ever write. <laughs> um, but I remember when I, I had a similar feeling cause I had this book called the Halliwell's film guide when I had, and before IMDb, this is the book you would look at to find out who directed the movie you just watched and what else they directed. But it also included this guy's um, film reviews, James Halliwell. And James Halliwell is a man who predicted that film was going to die about five different times. And one of those times was in like the seventies, like the golden <laughs> era of American movies. So he was a miserable old prick. So fun facts. And all his I don't movies. Like movies. movies. Yeah. <gasps> I know. I just, gasped you I, should. <laughs> I, I am gasping. The other day I saw Nashville for the first time and I fucking loved it. So <laughs> I, you know, on my mind a lot. I just, I don't like that era of like 60s, 70s. I'm not good until we get back into the camp of the 80s and like the breakfast club kind of thing. And then I'm like, okay, let's go from there. But like, I like (laughs) basically anything before the 50s. Wow. Like early, you can even do like early 50s when like color was like, eh. Once you get like, once Tony Curtis comes in the picture, like I'm slowly backing out of the room. Oh my god! <laughs> like as soon that as color surprising. comes around, I'm like, "What is this shit?" <laughs> okay, so where this story is going might not resonate with you. <laughs> but <laughs> I read the Halliwell film guide, and it was just miserable. And at the time, I was into campy '80s movies, so I always wanted to find out: Am I watching the Friday the Thirteenth in the right order? And I got a Halliwell's film guide and looked past all the one-star reviews calling it pure art trash in order to find out if the final chapter comes after a new <laughs> beginning or what. Um, and I just thought that was film criticism. Film criticism is Citizen Kane is great. Everything else is bad. Then one day I saw Mark Kermode, the British critic talking about the Texas chainsaw massacre and talking about it as one of the best horror movies and also just one of the best movies ever made. And I was like, okay, some critics are all right. (laughs) Yeah. Because in general, critics tend to hate horror movies. There is a prejudice, certainly in like, um, I mean, with the Academy, for example, like Get Out getting nominated for Best Picture was huge because no one, no one likes horror movies, it seems, at the Academy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's a shame because I love horror movies. <laughs> you know, okay, so truth be told, like I used to say I couldn't stand horror movies because okay. my exposure to horror films was predominantly American horror films, right. which were like essentially they were either slasher with like stupid plots or no plot right <laughs> or they were like jump scare fest so yes. i was like well that's stupid <laughs> like no i don't like i hate <laughs> horror movies and then right. i was introduced to like horror movies from around the world and i was like okay. oh movies because i used to say like i hate horror movies because they don't scare you and then like i saw some movies from around the world and i was like okay there are some damaged people making movies, first of all. <laughs> sure are. Second of all, maybe I was a little wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> Cool. Um, Do you remember any of the ones that like turned it around for you? No, because I'm terrible okay. at names. Like we just went over. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mentioned the name of the boxer and the Bobby Soxer and was like, what's the name you of the You got movie? that. <laughs> so, you found yeah, it. I, yeah. Um 
No, but um, but yeah, I, I just remember like it was it when it was during the nineties when I was in the you know right. seeing everything like oh, I right. we'll watch this, and I was like okay, so particularly like Eastern horror movies, and by Eastern I mean uh, not no. Western Hemisphere. Yeah, so like horror movies from anybody from the Western Hemisphere, I'm like y'all ain't playing like <laughs> it's not simple slasher boobs like. Because you know? yeah. that's sure. pretty much what American horror horror movies were, like especially like seventies, eighties, and in oh, nineties it became like you know I know what you did last summer, which was not really scary at all. It was just like no, a bunch it of was screaming, and then somebody would die off camera. Yeah, it's Wes Craven's fault. It's it's almost always his fault. He made um, <laughs> well he, he he made Scream, and a lot yes. of people really liked Scream, along with you know a script by Kevin Williamson and. A lot of people really liked it and then didn't really, the studios didn't really get why. And so they thought, oh, it's slash movies. They never get why. They are incapable (laughs) of understanding why things become viral. Yeah, exactly. And they missed the unique selling point of Scream being its self-awareness and its humor and just thought, okay, slasher movies are back and that's why you get urban legends and I know what you did last summer and, you know, all the rest. And yeah. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's a little, it's unfortunate, but hey, it's it happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, the reason why I've come around on saying like, uh, and, and I don't say any longer that you know I don't like horror movies is because <laughs> I listened to a podcast on Podbean called Horror Biz, oh, and yeah. the guy who does it, who goes by Wampus Cat. He and I were talking about like, well, what is a horror movie? And so yeah. he's sitting here defining all these movies that I never even considered as horror, like oh, Aliens right. and Get Out. I didn't think of those as horror movies. Because mm. to me, in my mind, horror movies are like... Yeah, I find genre so stifling. Yeah. Like to me, horror movies are like, you see boobs and slasher. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, it, <laughs> it does have that negative reputation. I, I actually got to interview. I went to Cannes and um, I, I saw the... Uh, the short film compilation and the guy who won it, I gave his film a really good review when he got in touch. And so I got to interview him. Um, and I identified his short film as a horror story. Cause it's about this guy who is terrified that there's something in his garden. And it's all a big metaphor for the fact that he's terrified. He's inherited a mental health issue from his dad. It's a very good Ooh. film. Um, and I, I spoke to him about this and I said, you know, it, I talked to him about the horror genre and it very quickly became clear that he did not consider his film a, genre, a horror mm. and felt that that was reductive to say so. And I was just, I, huh. for me, the, the, the label of horror is so broad and so encompassing of just anything that seeks to invoke a sense of dread or fear in you. But for some people, it's just, oh no, don't call my movie a, a, a horror film. Otherwise people will show up expecting jump scares. Exactly. I, I think one. he's actually, he's mm. right because yeah. in the to U.S. Extent, especially, yeah. like, we lack nuance. <laughs> so we're, most people are like that, honestly. Most people are like, horror movie, The Nun, like, or The Conjuring. Right, and right, like, yeah. Okay, I don't want to see that shit. <laughs> I want to yeah, see it, a decent movie with the plot. That's why Get Out yeah. was so popular because I think most people didn't consider it a horror movie. Yeah, it was like a, well, I mean, some things get described as like psychological thriller. Thriller I've always found to be the least well-defined genre ever, because is it horror? Is it action? Like, what is it? It's um, exactly anything between the two. (laughs) Exactly. It is is that I'm a big fan of psychological thrillers. And see, that's the thing. Mm. Even when I said I hate horror, I still loved psychological thrillers, but I didn't consider a psychological thriller a horror film. 
That's yeah. why I would say like I hate horror. But then yeah. people are like, get out horror, and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> so <laughs> and like when, I remember I didn't see the Babadook because I was like, Oh yeah. Horror movie, that's gonna be stupid. And then somebody was like, No, 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 no. no. It's not yeah. it's more like a psychological thriller. And I was like, Okay, and then yeah. I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so it's like a marketing thing because you're right. People do have these expectations. Like, there's that woman who sued um, the production studio because she went to go see Drive and got really angry. It wasn't like a Fast and Furious style thing. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, the trailers, the posters, and the name all lend you to think that. But you really shouldn't sue. Like that's stupid. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> Like, do a little research. If what you see is so important, maybe Google, like, a plot description or something. Honestly, the worst. Like, the thing that should have been sued over is Suburban. Or was it Suburban? Yeah. Suburbicon. Suburbicon. That's what it was. The Coen Brothers-esque. Basically, if Matt Damon starred in it and it's post-2014, it's not what you think it is. (laughs) Same thing with downsizing. Like downsizing oh, looked yeah. like a comedy. It was not. True. So did Suburbicon. It, Suburbicon was sold as a black comedy, and you watch it, and you're like, "What the fuck is this?" Like it was yeah. not. Part of that doesn't come from like missed. Um, part of that just comes from it being bad. I think. Like I think it was so, actually meant to be a black comedy, but they failed to do so because it wasn't funny. It, they so failed horribly. Yeah. <laughs> Such a shame because it seems, you know, there's this thing. The Cohen, I'm trying to wait, let me just double check this before I say it out loud. I'm about to say the sentence the Cohen brothers have never written a good movie for someone else. I just want to make sure I'm correct in that. I think I am. If they direct wait, it, it's did they great. Write, did they write Miller's Crossing? Yeah, but they directed it. You see, if oh. they direct it, then it's amazing. But if they write it and someone else directs it, oh, Bridge of Spies, that's the one that keeps tripping me up. Yeah. Uh, Bridge of Spies and Unbroken. Yeah, because I've, that's right. I've, now I remember. I've said this before and been called out on it. <laughs> You're like, oh, Bridge that's why and... I got all that hate. Okay. I remember feeling tense <laughs> and I can't remember why. Bridge of Spies and Unbroken, they wrote for other directors and they were both very good films. Um, but yeah, uh, they have had issues. Like Gambit was a movie that they wrote with, um, what's her name? Uh, Cameron Diaz and Alan Rickman. And that was bad. I mean... Maybe so, not yeah, come on, brothers, you should be wary of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, mm. I, you know, I just think it's... I, I don't think that's necessarily fair because, like, look at the Wachowskis. I think the... Mm. I think they're, they're actually normal. We just sensationalize the good. It's like the good was right. so good, we expect yeah. that caliber all the time, when in the past, it was like, you know, you had directors like Ridley Scott who was like, yeah, you had some really good movies and then you had some really shit movies and it all balanced oh, yeah. out, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's true. I mean, for me, where I am with The Matrix is that I am kind of in the place where I would... I, I've moved on a little from the place where I would have militantly said The Matrix should have been just one movie. I've moved on a little to say, no, there was some interesting stuff going on in Reloaded and Revolutions that maybe didn't come off as well as they'd hoped, but there's still some good things in there. Um, but I haven't seen Bound uh, which was their first big movie. So it was their first for, movie. It was they yeah, you're right. In order to get the the permission to do the Matrix. That's right. Yeah. So I haven't seen Bound um, and everything else after kind of the Matrix has been charitably mixed, less charitably, slightly more accurately bad. <laughs> okay, so we differ on the Matrix because 
Right. When I saw The Matrix, like Matrix is still mm. to this day one of my favorite movies. Cool. Um, when I saw Reloaded, uh-huh. I initially didn't like it, but not for the reasons everybody else didn't like it. Interesting. Everybody else didn't like it because they were super confused as to what was going on and were like, that mm. was gibberish. This is stupid. I didn't mm. like it because I thought the special effects sucked ass. Okay, interesting. Well, I mean, yeah, you watch the super brawl, the burly brawl, as they call it now, with the Agent Smiths. Yes, yeah, that's not that great. was the worst scene. Yeah. And that well, Okay, so that was bad, but then when Neo was flying away with yeah. the king, um, with the keymaker and Morpheus, I was like, this looks like a cartoon. This is terrible. Yeah, it's got an ugly aesthetic. I find that both of them do, Reloaded and Revolutions. It's just, in my head, it just looks unpleasant. You know, compared to The Matrix, which is a gorgeous film. Part of it, though, is supposed to be unpleasant because now you're Mm. in the nitty gritty. And so aesthetically, it's the aesthetics fit thematically. So I'm not I'm not complaining about that. But when you're you like when you have The Matrix, which introduced us to bullet time. Right. And then in Reloaded, it looks like I'm watching a cartoon half the time. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, come on, dude. It's like you could have, just, I would have preferred they just had a stunt double do that scene, like had a bunch of stunt doubles physically do the scene. It's kind of like yeah. Star Wars, where it's like you see the prequels and you're like, can we just go back to real stuff? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, me, exactly. That's, that's what I set. like about Reloaded and Revolutions. But yeah. I actually think the best info was in Reloaded. Info. Yes. The 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 meat, the heart of the story of what happens in the entire mm. matrix is in reloaded. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly a lot of history and kind of lore in there, but I felt like the initial premise, the idea of, because in 1999, we kept making the same movie, uh, the matrix, American beauty office space. Um, oh, there's a fourth one that I often forget. Uh, fight club. All of these movies are about people working jobs. They hate and suddenly realize their reality is not quite what they think it is and that they can change it. If they change a little, usually introduced by a woman who's come into their life. Um, and then a mysterious figure who changes their mindset. And then, yeah, I mean, if you're going to reduce it to just that, (laughs) that's fairly specific. (laughs) Talk about being a reductionist. Damn. (laughs) They end up engaging in a lifestyle that is dangerous and ultimately end up realizing that the solution they've come up with is not quite the one that they're after. In that sense, I felt like that message was purest in The Matrix, this idea of, you know, it's just the, the wonderfulness of that premise. You know, the world isn't real. Um, it's only as real as you are willing to believe in it. And the people who propagate the system that keeps you trapped in it can be defeated if you change yourself is... Yeah, a really wonderful, interesting message to be made that literal. And I found that was purest in the first one. That yes. Kind of but moved the away reason from why I liked the others is because mm. it, that was the message of the first one, but then it mm. moved on from that. And it yeah. went deeper. It went layers deeper into a more philosophical, religious, or not religious, but like philosophical, spiritual, like, okay, we've, we've gone to the surface of what is real and I can change myself and therefore I can change my environment. Okay. Now, can you really, <laughs> could you ever see that? And I was like, Oh, <laughs> like it, it also, it's the timing. I will admit I was in my twenties when the matrix came out, when, when uh, matrix right, yeah. and reloaded came out. So mm. I was like, 
I was reading Descartes and Kant and all that at the time. Right. So I was like, when I saw this movie that was like asking these exact same questions and posing them to you, I was like, this mm. is what I live for. Like it was exactly <laughs> the right time for those films to come out for me personally. Yeah. So that's why I loved the, the second. I loved the information and the themes of the second one. I just didn't like the CGI of the second. Yeah. One. You see, it's interesting when I go to think of like free will, for example, which is something you mentioned there about like, can we really change things? When right. I think about free will, the first thing I think of is the first movie. And it's, you know, would you have broken that vase if I hadn't said anything? Yes. And, and see that to me is foreshadowing not of, because if you think about it, she doesn't really like that's not really touched on in the first movie. It's not till mm. the second movie when that hits. So that's foreshadowing yeah. for the second film. And, and yet he still he still has to make this big choice at the end about whether or not to go in for you know Morpheus. And it's just for me that little illustration of a philosophical idea is more interesting than what you get in the second movie, which is scenes of Neo sitting down with various figures or standing up and looking at various figures as they expound. You know, it's a very dialogue driven film. True. Um, okay, so for me. the thing about this is this is also hmm. a perfect example of remember when we were talking about like sometimes the best things come from studio interference or like not interference, yeah. but like when you're restrained and yeah. you have to work around it. That's the matrix. They had hmm. a low budget. They had yeah. like nobody knew what the hell they were doing. They had to <laughs> yeah. like work within these all of these restraints. And then it made so much money that the mm. studio was like here's a bunch of money, do whatever you want. And nobody came and went like, Hey, you got to dumb this down. Perfect example. In the original matrix, they turned, they had to turn it into a battery because in the script, it was supposed to be a CPU. A neural network. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, nobody's going to understand that. You have to change it to a battery. (laughs) So there's no sense. Exactly. But then a second matrix is, has the information dump that it does because mm. the studio was like, whatever, you made us a bunch of money. We don't care. So there was <laughs> nobody reading it going, what the fuck does any of this mean? <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> it would have, it would have, in that case, like that architect scene would have benefited from somebody reading over it going, there's no way a layperson's going to understand any of this. Yeah. I mean, I hate saying that because it's the same thing with George Lucas, isn't it? Because the first Star Wars movie had so much limitation and so many different people around him coming in and saying, George, you cannot have an opening text crawl that explains taxes and, you know, all the rest of it. Get Brian De Palma to rewrite it. It'll be fine. And his wife, who's so often undercredited in terms of actually creating the Star Wars trilogy, she actually edited the whole thing to make it make sense and dumped a bunch of scenes that were boring and didn't do anything. And, and then see what happened when they get divorced yeah. and there's nobody telling him no, yep. you get the yep. prequels. You get Phantom Menace, absolutely, where nobody was there to say you can't do this so you shouldn't do that. Everyone just worshipped George Everyone Lucas. Everyone was, a, and was a yes man, exactly. <laughs> so restraints actually make creativity better. Yeah, absolutely. And I think some of that you can see in the Philadelphia story to come back to our brief. <laughs> because this we have is, now come full circle. We have come full circle circle a movie made fully within the code um by yeah people working within the old studio system and they make something that's really sweet really really interesting really funny and really character driven as well in a way that's yeah very appealing of um what a star driven movie used to be and i like the idea that back in the day star driven didn't mean who you're going to get in your action movie it meant who's going to get like the big scene yeah who's going to get the big dramatic scene who's going to get the best dialogue yeah, exactly. Who's gonna, you know, get to be? Who's gonna get to play drunk? Who's gonna get to play self righteous? And 
yeah, this is just like a fireworks display of human interaction. Yes. And yeah, it's, I love this movie. That's why I suggested it. I had no idea you hadn't mm. seen it, honestly. I thought, because ah. in my mind, like people who love movies have seen everything I've seen. <laughs> it's and really especially hard to break like, away classic from that. movies. I'm like, we all cut our teeth on Grant, right? We've all yeah. seen everything Hepburn. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see everything Hepburn now. I want to. I want to go out of my way now and see more of these things. And yeah, do more of the Kakur and uh, how have you pronounced? And <laughs> <laughs> Keep saying it that way because it sounds good. It's so funny. I watched I watched a documentary on on um on this guy, uh, George C. And I'm <laughs> sure that it was a British um documentary. Um and I'm sure that they would say Kakur. But the guy has such a pompous way of speaking about all of these directors, and it always says something to the effect at the beginning of George Kakur changed the face of cinema forever. And what's really funny is they've they've been doing this series called the directors for ages and they've covered George Kakur and people like, um, Oh fuck. Now every name's going to go out of my head. Robert Wise, you know, um, Oh fuck. Who directed, um, the wizard of Oz. Oh, that I don't remember. Uh, the original wizard of Oz. Yeah. No, nobody does. <laughs> That's the weird <laughs> thing about that. Nobody remembers that guy's name. What is his name? I'm halfway into the Wikipedia. Victor, Victor Fleming. Yes. There was one on Victor Fleming and all sorts. And, you know, uh, Kubrick and such. And But now they're, they're running out of directors like from the past, so they're going into more contemporary stuff and they've got one on David Lynch. And I can't wait to hear that pompous dick talk about David Lynch. It's going to be so good. David Lynch's first film, Eraserhead, was one of the most important films ever made. <laughs> it's just going to be so much fun. I mean, David, you know what? <laughs> I am humble enough to admit, like, I just don't get it. Why people think... I, I understand that he has like I like the the dialogue, but he's just so freaking weird. I know. <laughs> just like, I love the guy. I can't help it. I just like love Tim Burton. I hate... See, here's the thing with Tim Burton. Mm. Maybe I'm wrong. I probably am wrong. But to me, Tim Burton feels like he's trying to be Tim Burton. You know what I mean? Like, well, certainly now, yeah. He feels like. He's trying to be like an edgelord, like, ooh, I'm weird and dark and creepy. And I'm like, yeah, but you're totally phoning it in and I don't believe you. Yeah, I mean, certainly everything made this century, I would say, from Tim Burton feels like it's an attempt at Tim Burton. And I even say that for like Batman. Oh, wow, really? And Batman Returns. Yeah, I can't stand those. Everybody else loves Batman and Batman Returns, and I've mm. hated them since they came out. Oh, interesting. <laughs> that yeah. is interesting, because, yeah, I mean, they were a perfect time for me. You know, they were around when I was a kid. You know, I was born the year before Batman came out, so wow. I wasn't around for that for that kind of thing. But, um, I was in, like, the fifth grade. Mm, so I, I wasn't around for, like, the initial kind of excitement around them, but they were there on video when I was a kid, and, yeah, I was always very fond of them just because they were Batman, and he goes around punching people. <laughs> I didn't really look for much more than that at you know the age I was when I saw them. But yeah, I liked it. um I couldn't couldn't stand Batman and Batman Returns, but I loved Batman Forever. Oh, interesting. I haven't Batman. watched that since I was a kid, but I I used to really like it too when I was a kid. Um Batman Forever when it came out, it was the first movie that hmm. I watched multiple times in the theater. Oh wow. Um, because uh, that was like 95. Um yeah. I, because before that, so I'm I'm pretty much the opposite of like everyone, because you know with most little kids, you're like oh watch Strawberry Shortcake again, and they're like or like like little kids now it's like 
oh, you love Moana. Here, watch it for the 476th time. You know, right. <laughs> you're yeah. like, uh, and adults are like, oh, if I hear Frozen again. <laughs> <laughs> but when I was a kid, they were like, hey, Jack, you want to watch Strawberry Shortcake? And I'm like, no, nah, I've seen that. Yeah. We're like, God damn it. What four-year-old doesn't want to see something more than once? <laughs> but then when I was right. a teenager and like, and like teen, like late teens to twenties, I was, that was when I was starting to watch a movie multiple times because right. before that I literally watched it once and I was like, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> and so like <laughs> that is part of the reason why I've seen so many, because it's just like, okay, you have to keep giving me a new one, but then. That's interesting. Yeah. And then like, like in the nineties, like I said, um, Batman forever was the first time I saw that like four times in the cinema. And that was the first time I'd done that. That's awesome. Before that, yeah, yeah. it was just like, oh, I saw that. Yeah, that was good. And like, I'll never see it in the theater again. I might see it when it comes on HBO, but I'm not going to pay to see it in the theater again. And yeah. that's funny because like back then a ticket was like $4. Right. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going to pay $4 to see it again. Whereas now I'm like, here's 24. I would like to see this movie for the fifth time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, the first film I remember, really acutely remember seeing more than once was The Matrix Reloaded, which I think I saw three times in its initial run. Oh, you're it's, a kid. Yeah, exactly. I was, yeah. I remember well, seeing Titanic was, multiple times. Oh, I never, I never saw it on the big screen. My sister went a few times. Um, to go see that because different people wanted to see it. That was when I learned how to do a marathon, honestly, because oh, that wow. was the first time I saw a nearly three hour movie in the theater. And right. like you learn, don't get the big drink <laughs> because especially a movie with water, that's like yeah. two, like more than two and a half hours. Mm. When they, when the, when the water comes crashing through and it like bursts the doors open, like somebody's wetting themselves. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the first time I remember doing a movie marathon at the cinema was probably, I was around 20, I think. And I went and saw, there was an all-nighter at the um, this big cinema in um, in London called the BFI IMAX. Um, and it, it was showing um, all the Bourne movies overnight. And because there were only three Bourne movies at the time, this was like late noughties, they then showed Team America World Police to like <laughs> finish out the night. And so that was the first time in my life that I just spent the night in a cinema and was very happy to do so. I did it a lot in my 20s. I used to love doing that. I did Lord of the Rings. I think I did a Batman all-nighter where they showed, because of that, this was before Dark Knight Rises was out, so they showed Batman, Batman Returns, and then skipped the Schumachers, I'm afraid, to go straight to <gasps> Batman Begins and Dark Knight. Blasphemy! I'm sorry. <laughs> Blasphemy! I did a Saw all-nighter back when there were like five of them. Oh, God. I like, I tried to do... Oh, God. <laughs> I was into them. <laughs> I went with my sister, who's also into them. I made but, it to three, and after that, I was like, this is just like disaster porn at this point. Three is like the best one. Um, but I uh, I recently, more recently, I'm in my 30s now, and I, re- I had a chance to see Inception at the IMAX again, so I wanted to see it, but the pricks at the IMAX are now run by the Odeon and they never do fun stuff anymore. So they thought, okay, yeah, we'll let them show this movie that was actually shot to be shown in this cinema. Uh, we'll do it at midnight. I was like, great. So I went and saw it. And even just staying up until three in the morning to having to have watched Inception, I just mm-hmm. thought, oh, I think I'm past this now. I think, I think it's now too late for me. <laughs> I don't remember my first marathon. I'm the exact opposite. Like I, oh, yeah? the last, I, the last one I did was Endgame. 
And I awesome. went to the theater Tuesday, came out Thursday night, went Tuesday morning, like 7 a.m. Oh. Came out Tuesday, <laughs> like came out Thursday night at like midnight or 10, something like that. That's awesome. And I was like, I need to do that again. <laughs> oh. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm self-aware. I'm nuts. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. I, I wish I still had the energy. I remember, um, I remember be, the, the first sign that I was on my way out of that was 2015 Force Awakens. We wanted to see it at the, um, again, at this massive cinema, the BFI IMAX. It's like the biggest screen in Europe or something like that. And it was, some scenes were shot in IMAX. So we wanted to see it there. Um, and the only time we could get screenings for a 2D version, because again, this is run by Joyless Fuck, so we're going to force 3D on you. Um, <laughs> fuck the Odeon. They, they had a 2D screening at four in the morning. So we went and saw Krampus, which was out at the same time, and just stayed up all night in order to watch this. And I remember just traveling back home at seven in the morning, just being like, that was a good film. I wish I'd seen it whilst I was awake. (laughs) I saw The Force Awakens as part of a seven movie marathon. Wow. Holy shit. But I wasn't alone on this one. I was with like nine other people. That's amazing. And we just did the whole Star Wars marathon. That's amazing. I can't imagine doing a marathon where the one you're most excited about seeing is like last. <laughs> that was Endgame. Endgame really? was even more because Star Wars, oh, it was shit. just seven. And yeah. it was, and within, with Star Wars, it was like, okay, we're here for four movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ex- oh my God. Yeah. We, we were prequel haters. Um, yeah. But, fair enough. but then, you know what? I have to be honest. The sequels made us appreciate the prequels more. We don't like them now. But we appreciate it. <laughs> oh, really? You're not you're not sequel fans? No. Oh. No. Because <laughs> here's the thing. The, the prequels had a cohesive narrative. It was one story that went through the whole thing. It was just told horribly. Mm. Yeah, but that's true. But the sequels were excellent tellings of nothing. <laughs> and it's okay. like, you can't, you, like, I don't care if it's pretty. I need substance. Fair enough. We're, I, it's probably not the best time to say that the, the Last Jedi is like my favorite Star Wars. <laughs> okay, this is done. We're we're, <laughs> and we're out. erasing Bye, this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's the Philadelphia story. <laughs> you no, know, I'm not. So here's the thing. Uh, when I saw the Last Jedi, it was very similar to <laughs> to Age of Ultron in that when I right. walked out and Interstellar, all three Ooh. of these films. When I walked <laughs> out, I was like huh and people were like well well did you like it and i was like well even phantom menace like all actually all of the prequels um when i first walked out like i was like huh was it good you know it was and people like oh it's not good because if it was good you would say something and i'm like no no no. it's just (laughs) i have to see it again yeah and I have since come to realize that is never ever a good thing okay because <laughs> i didn't subsequent like rewatches i always figure out this is why i couldn't say i liked it that's interesting i've had that with age of ultron i agree i remember watching it thinking did i have fun i think <laughs> i had fun let me but find I out i was I'm... similar to you in that i again because this is, i mean you may as well call me jackie marathon <laughs> I saw right. this at an 11 movie marathon, all of the MCU. Oh my God. Time. Right. It was movie 11. And count I, that. <laughs> by the time Age of Ultron came out, I wasn't as stoked as for Endgame. So I when Age of Ultron came out, I was like, I was super tired, and mm. which is amazing because the 11th movie I was super tired on. Meanwhile, with Endgame, I was wired. Like you right. would have thought I was on some kind of drug because I was like, bring yeah. it to me, put it in my veins. <laughs> 
Right. <laughs> but with the 11th movie marathon, like when the 11th hit, I was so tired that it was like, huh, I don't know if that movie was good or not because my eyeballs are, are like, <laughs> like glued open. Yeah. So I'm not like, sure what's happening. Like, I don't even know my middle name anymore. And then <laughs> I ended up watching, and I, I have to admit that like I dreaded watching it for a second time because I was afraid that it wasn't as good because if it was, then yeah. I would have had the end game reaction that I had as right. opposed to the, I don't know. Yeah. And when I saw it again, I was like, okay, it's not. <laughs> so, I'm tr- you know, I'm trying to think. I have had a couple of films where I wasn't sure when I first saw it. And on second or even third viewing, I did decide it was great. I had that with, um, I saw Blade Runner 2049 in Unideal Circumstances. Mm-hmm. It was film four of, again, I'm saying this to the marathon lady, so this isn't going to mean much <laughs> to you. But I saw it as film like four or five on like the second week of the film festival a couple oh, okay. of years ago. And I just was too tired and it was so long and so ponderous and slow paced that I just was like, Oh God, I've got another film after this. Can we please get on with it? (laughs) And that was so not the right attitude to go into this film with. And then I saw it independently of the festival a while later where Mm -hmm. I had like a whole afternoon for it and just thought, Oh wow, this is great. I love how ponderous and slow and kind of, you know, willing to spend time in a scene this movie is. So yeah, sometimes I've come out without a strong, strongly positive initial reaction and kind of fought my way around to it. Okay, but that's different, though, hmm. because Blade Runner 2049 is a slow, it's yeah. a total slow burn. So if you're mm. tired, you're going to hate it. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's a situational kind of film. Like, you have to be yeah. in the mood to watch a Blade Runner film yeah. or you're not Be in like this it. world. Yeah. Right. Um, but... I'm already in the world of Star Wars, mm. <laughs> like by definition. Yeah. So, and I'm like, I'm stoked because it was like, okay, the prequels let us down. Like when I went to see, <laughs> I had no expectations for the Force right. Awakens. Like I can't mm. emphasize enough how little expectations I had because <laughs> I remember, like I was, I was 21, I think, when the Force Awakens mm. came out, or not Force Awakens. I'm sorry, when uh, the Phantom Menace came out. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember the hype around the, the around the Phantom Menace, <laughs> yeah. and then we were like, oh, yeah. "Okay." Well, I was it's... eleven. I remember that hype. Yeah, <laughs> and then it was like, toy. "Okay, it's fine," because the clo- we're gonna get to see the Clone Wars. Hey, cool. And then it was like, "Well, you know what? <laughs> Darth Vader's coming next, so the net like <laughs> this one's gonna be awesome." Yeah. And so by the time it was like, "Okay, I've been burned before Star Wars." Yeah. <laughs> so going into Phantom Menace, I was like, "Just please don't suck. Don't suck as bad as the prequels did, please." Yeah, yeah. And then of course the first line is, "This will begin to make things right." And I was like, "Ah, yeah, <laughs> see where you're going, Abrams." And, yeah. Um, and then I really liked the Force Awakens. And then yeah. I was like, "Oh, all the speculation," and it was like, "Okay." And I allowed myself, like Abrams was like the Trojan horse. I allowed myself <laughs> to slip into those, you know, Star Wars expectations. And then the Last Jedi, and I was like, "Huh." Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> oh, well, I have this... That was certainly I have a movie. This, I have this terrible thing now where I, I, I loved The Last Jedi. I had such a strong, visceral reaction to it whilst stop I was watching it. Just laughing. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to stop being true just because you don't like to hear it. It's no, still, I have it on so good authority that if you don't test people, it means they're not sick. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That's definitely true. My government <laughs> says the same. Um, but oh. I remember... I. I, I loved it a lot. And then I saw Rise of Skywalker and Rise of Skywalker did the horrible thing 
where subsequent to watching that, I went back and watched uh, Force Awakens Mm -hmm. and was really upset to find that a lot of the stuff I did not like in um, The Rise of Skywalker was already there in The Force Awakens. And I hate that. I hate it when a subsequent movie by a director makes you go back and realize, oh God, you were doing it here too. You were doing it here too. I have that with Peter Jackson as well. After The Hobbit, you know, I watched like Return of the King and it's like, oh, you were already into crazy, massive CGI nonsense back then. (laughs) (laughs) Like with the Oliphant and Legolas. And it's like, oh no, (laughs) you were already doing it. This is so disappointing. (laughs) Okay. So I, I know that we're supposed to talk about the Philadelphia story, but I can't help it. You, you brought it up. You Uh, have messed with my brain. And also, this is, like, anybody who listens to my podcast, I have an obligatory Star Wars talk. Like, there, there's okay. always, we have to bring up Star Wars, apparently. Um, okay. What did you like about The, for- about, um, the Last Jedi? Okay, so... If you say it's because they're no- she's a nobody, like, I'm flying to London. I mean, literally, that is, a, that is a... I think that's a really good way of resolving that particular twist. I think the fact that she was so desperate for a sense of identity and who she might be and that she was hoping this might come from who her parents are, and that this would answer that question for her. You know, Ryan Johnson explained that when Luke gets told that Darth Vader is his father, it's the worst thing he could possibly hear in that moment. And the worst thing that Rey could possibly hear in that moment is that she doesn't have parents who matter, and that she's not related to this drama in a way that's going to help her figure out who she is. Because all the way through, and she says this to Luke, I need someone to show me what my place is in all this. And okay, so I have a question for you. Okay. Please point out exactly when Ray mm-hmm. was wondering who her parents were or who she was. Remember when she goes into the dark um, side pit and she's looking into the mirror? Yeah, that's in The Last in- Jedi, but you're talking about in The Last oh, Jedi. Sorry. So before The Last Jedi, when was she doing that? When did she do so, that um, in The Force Awakens? Um, well, in, La- in The Force Awakens, her entire motivation, character motivation, is that she needs to get back to her planet because she's convinced that her parents are going to return there. She keeps talking about it. She almost right, almost as if does. she knows who her parents are and she's waiting for them, right? <laughs> if, this, if this is the, log- if the inconsistency <laughs> here that like, has yep. taken you out of it, I, it never occurred to me. Yeah, you no fell for Ryan Johnson's BS. He presented the problem and then answered his own problem, but then fucked off with what actually was going on with Ray in the first movie. Which is why when you saw the second, mo- the third movie, which actually went back to the first movie, you were like, "Oh, well, fuck the whole thing." <laughs> so, so where did you feel that was thing going? Is, I posit it was Ryan Johnson. Who you like Ryan Johnson convinced you that she was that she wanted to find her place in the story. It was us who wanted to know who she was related to. She didn't Mm. give a shit about that. She didn't in The Force Awakens. She had just found out that that was real. Her whole motivation was getting through the day. And when she found out she had the Force, she was looking for guidance and how to use it. And she was conflicted with learning, with like possibly learning and becoming a Jedi or going back and waiting for her relatives that she was looking for, that she was waiting for. She yeah. was not searching for an identity. It was a, a conflict between paths. And Ryan Johnson threw all that out and went, no, it's all about identity because you wanted to know who she was. Well, I still feel like that's tied together. I mean, she's still looking for how she should be using her power and what her place is supposed to be. I just I, felt like that tracked really well across the two. And if that's, you know, the argument, then <laughs> I prefer, like I say, I preferred Last Jedi, so I'd be happy to throw out Force Awakens if that's the dichotomy you're presenting. <laughs> Fuck the the trilogy. I'll take Last Jedi over that. Here's the thing. 
I, mm. I will grant you this. If ah. The Last Jedi was not a Star Wars movie, it would be perfectly fine. <laughs> okay. But it is. It exists in it exists in a situation where there is there are seven movies of canon before it, and it just went, yeah, fuck all that. I'm gonna do my own thing. And you can't do that. There you have to be you have to fit within your universe. The reason why the Marvel Cinematic Universe works so well is because not only are they good individual films, but they all tie together. They're all consistent. They're cohesive. Mm-hmm. There's a through line. And The Last Jedi went, fuck that. I'm doing my own thing. And then Rise of Skywalker was doomed from the start because it had to try to combine The Last Jedi, which didn't really fit within Star Wars, and then also go back to what happened with The Rise of Skywalker. And it had already they had already promised that it was all going to come back to, it was going to tie in the prequels and the, the originals. Mm-hmm. And it was just, he set himself up for too tall an order without there being a trilogy already in place, like without there being a plan for the trilogy. Mm. He just, yeah. uh, like the Rise of Skywalker was doomed to fail when they let Ryan Johnson just like subvert the whole, the whole story. Well, I don't feel like he derailed the story. I don't feel he like he, he took it to places. <laughs> okay. <Never mind>. Sorry. <laughs> I'm such an ass. I'm like, no, he did. He did. Okay. So I don't, go ahead. I will, I don't I will feel- bite my tongue and I'll just let you finish. <laughs> go ahead. It might just be that we can't see eye to eye on this. I, I really feel like the things that he did with the story and with the mythology were interesting. He challenged things that the prequels themselves seemed to me to set up. The idea of the Jedi being these figures who were very at fault, who were not perfect, and whom Luke would have natural reasons to be distrustful of, considering his kind of journey through the original the original trilogy. And it just, I don't know, none of these things bothered me. Maybe maybe I'm just more willing, less invested in it being a cohesive whole and more willing to just take these movies one at a time as they are but none of the other movies and i rewatched them afterwards none of them have the emotional impact on me none of them have those moments where it's just like oh shit you know it's this then the last jedi it just it really spoke to me in a way that i would perhaps struggle to fully justify hold on when you say none of the other movies are you referring to none of the other movies in the sequel trilogy or are you referring to none of the other movies in star wars yeah, you remember that bit I said that Last Jedi was my favorite Star Wars? Oh, for fuck's sake. Okay. Yeah. So what you're going to do is you're going to sit here and say that the bullshit that Ryan Johnson threw up on the screen is better than Luke having to fight within him, fight the dark side to not become his father so that he can bring the good out of his father. And the end with the... How is that? What, have you seen Return of the Jedi? I, yeah, that's the worst one of the original trilogy. Oh, boy. But it's got the most throws emotional out impact. The, that throws and, uh, out empire. all of the tension it introduced in Empire. Empire introduced so many elements that could have been interesting. And in Return of the Jedi spends the first 20 minutes of its runtime setting things back to the status quo pretty much before it was an Empire, with the minor exception that now Luke knows who his father is. Now you sound like a critic. <laughs> See, now, right here, now I think you're a critic. I'm like, oh, that's why you like The Last Jedi, because you're a critic. Yes, critics love this movie. off the little boxes for you, and you're <laughs> like, there it is. Boxes. It made me feel things. That's the <laughs> box it ticked. <laughs> yeah, I felt, I felt nothing in in That's a shame. The Last Jedi because mm. it took me out of it because there were too many canon breaking things. Like the, there were too many things that weren't like, for example, Luke. That's not Luke. So when you see <laughs> the it, most and interesting you're like, I ever found Luke. Because it's not Luke. <laughs> so in other words, you maybe don't that's like why I found him interesting. <laughs> you didn't. So what you're saying is you don't like the character of Luke, and you like what you saw in the Last Jedi because that wasn't Luke. 
because like- the whole arc with Luke in the original trilogy was mm. he would rather risk himself falling to the dark side than actually become like he he kind of forged his own path because he went against the advice of his mentors they both said you have to kill vader but he's like no i sense the good in him and he would rather he would rather risk potentially going to the dark side himself or even getting killed by palpatine in order for that sliver of hope that's that new hope that sliver of hope to be able to pull his father back and he succeeded and that mm. guy's like, nope, fuck this, I'm killing my nephew. What? That's not Luke. He panicked. It was a momentary, it was a, mo- and like you say, you say that the big thing about that was that he was willing to slip to the dark side in order to do something good. In one moment, he saw all of the pain and suffering that Kylo Ren would create and thought that he might be able to end it in a second, but Did then you... re- immediately regretted doing so. But it was too late. Have you heard of Darth Vader? Because he's already <laughs> done that shit and he was still willing to sacrifice himself to turn him back to the light. And you mean to tell me that with his nephew, who is a kid, rather than having a conversation with him or having a conversation with his sister, he's just going to light his lightsaber? That's not Luke. Remember that moment... Remember that moment in Return of the Jedi where Darth Vader was like, perhaps your sister will, you know, turn to the dark side. And yes. Luke's like, no! And then like exactly. wails on him for like five minutes. Yes. Just smashing the shit out of him and cuts his hand off and is about to kill him before he holds back. Why then is it so incredible that Luke didn't spend five minutes wailing on Kylo Ren? He just got his lightsaber out. Because... In uh, a moment of panic. No, because it... Because, okay. The reason why was because... Through that entire fight, Luke was on the verge of losing it, and Vader was sensing that and was pushing to try to tip him over the edge, okay? So Luke was already in a compromised situation where he was trying to keep him, he was teetering on the edge of light and dark in the first place. And then Vader, his father, sensed his sister, his one weakness, and was like, oh, this should tip him over to the edge. And it did for a moment, and then he came back, okay? Yeah. That is different from him. First of all, why is the creep in a kid's, like, why is he in the kid's room in the first place? It's I think maybe because he had doubts about his creepy student. I mean, he was his student. Okay, so then why doesn't he around. talk to his sister, the one that he went batshit over? Why doesn't because he just have a conversation with her? You're, you know what? <laughs> you know, Han Solo and Leia You're writing the parents. movie for him. You're, you're putting all of this backstory in there. None it. of that was present in the film. You just yeah, saw Luke Force- light the lightsaber, but you're giving all these reasons that weren't there. You need it spelled out. But in The Force Awakens... No, it's not that I need it spelled out. About- it's a, it, it breaks character. <laughs> that's not the character of Luke. Mm. The Force... Well, I mean, that's debatable, but it's just... It's fair enough. I mean, ultimately, you felt that this was a betrayal to what the franchise represented. For me, it was a really interesting take on it in a way that I hadn't seen arguably since, you know, The Empire Strikes Back. And I will still hold that those two, those sort of middle chapters of these trilogies are the more interesting of these films and the films that were willing to really do stuff with how that story. The, how about the fact that mm. the entire theme of this movie is kill the past, right? The, it's not the, the past theme, doesn't it's what matter. the bad guy says. That's it's, what the bad guy says. It's no, the, the whole throughout the, the whole movie, it's all about moving past. Like for Ray, like you said, it doesn't matter who she was in the past. It, it's all about getting rid of the past, being who you are, blah, 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 right? Okay, so then why does Kylo immediately go back at the end and then she goes back on the good guy quest? If the movie had the balls to follow through with it and actually have her go with Kylo, it would be a much better film. 
Well, I mean, that's what we, I kind of hoped would happen in the third one is that she would be legitimately tempted to the dark side by Kylo, especially since she had much more pressing reason to go over to the dark side than Luke did in the original trilogy. But I don't think that is the theme of that movie. I think the theme is that it's not about killing the past. True enough, her past proves not to have the answers that she hoped for, but it's about embracing it, accepting it, and then moving on. That's and that's what Yoda tells to Luke, you know, failure is our greatest teacher. Yeah, and that's and another just... thing. So hmm. in the original trilogy, Luke succeeds by ignoring, or at least not 100% listening to, the mentors of Yoda and Obi-Wan. And then hmm. you go back in the prequels and you're like, yeah, those guys were flawed. He was right to not listen to them. And that's how, in not listening to them, that's how he was able to bring him back. So now all of a sudden these guys are like some arbiters of, of truth. <laughs> that like we should be listened to no these guys are flawed they're the reason why the jedi went down in the first place sure doesn't mean they're worthless because the past may be flawed and they made mistakes it doesn't mean that there's nothing to be learned from it which oh my god pick a lane. kill it is it it's the same lane <laughs> it's just the same it's, lane you're the, it's not the same lane you're like forget the past no embrace the past which is it no <laughs> I never said forget the past. That's the whole point. The whole point of the movie is that Kylo Ren wants to kill the past. And that's not what the movie is saying. There are things back there you can learn from it. Okay. So failure is a teacher. Failure is a teacher. And that's why you would think Knives Out would be so much better because The Last Jedi was a failure. Anyway, on that. (laughs) Knives Out was one of my favorite films of last year. Of course it was. Uh-huh. Oh my God. You loved Looper, didn't you? See, now yeah. you really do sound like a critic. <laughs> Maybe it's because I am one. <laughs> Screen Mayhem. Check out my stuff there. It's time for links. <laughs> did you Did you like Brick too? I can't remember Brick very well. I saw it years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't <laughs> like pretty much anything Ryan Johnson. And it's That's not like a, oh, I saw The Last Jedi and therefore I hate him. It was like all mm. the way through. I'm like, this movie's not as good as everybody thinks it is. Hmm. I thought that for Brick, I thought that for Looper, Last Jedi. It actually took me about a year yeah. to realize I didn't like The Last Jedi. Because like I said, at first I was like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> right. And then I came around to, yeah, it's not. It's not very good. <laughs> and then I saw Knives Out and I'm like, and everybody's like, oh, it was the best writing. And I'm like, did we watch the same movie? And I, it, that is my re- experience with every Ryan Johnson film. Everybody is like, oh, it's so great. And I'm like, did we watch, did I? I don't think I saw the same movie as everybody else. Mm. Yeah, I'm not a Ryan Johnson fan. That's a shame. At all. Not mm. really. I'm good with it. <laughs> I'm perfectly fine with that. Fair enough. Again, you know what you like. <laughs> this is true. This is true. All right, so drop the links, Paul, yeah, okay. but not the other Paul. <laughs> certainly so to find out more about the other podcast uh one good thing where we try to find things that we like in bad movies then you can go to ogt pod on almost anything that you can search for that in uh twitter facebook all the rest of it uh or you could type one good thing but there's this gardening chick who's stolen all of our seo so you have to look <laughs> down a bit um and then you've got um what else have you got well you've got screen mayhem where i do all of my other stuff and that's uh, where i'm a film critic Reviews go up almost every week, and I appear on most of their podcasts as well. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay, I, I just got it now. You like The Last Jedi because you're used to watching crap movies and looking for something good. It all makes sense! <laughs> and with my own critical opinion abilities completely dis- dismissed, <laughs> I can return to the darkness. <laughs> return to the dark side for what you can. Indeed.
Okay, I'm a dork. I admit it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, everybody go check him out on all the things. Subscribe to One Good Thing. These guys are funny. It's two Pauls. One's Australian, one's British. (laughs) This is the British one, in case you have not figured that out. You'd be amazed at how many Americans cannot differentiate accents. Well, we're both from here, so I don't think he's got the accent yet. (laughs) (laughs) So, everybody check them out, and... Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, do us a favor. If you're listening through Apple, give us a five-star rating or any other app. Drop us a like. And don't forget to subscribe so that you can hear new episodes when they come out. Thanks. In case I don't see you. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>